Hi humans, welcome to LX2 Codependency Coaching. I am not doing a live recording on Instagram today, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, uh, because I'm on vacation. I do have a bonus guest. Uh, my sister is joining me. Bonus. <laughs> uh, so this is my sister, Juana. Hello. Juana, where are you coming to us from outside of today? Currently living in Lincoln, Nebraska. Okay. Um, and you are my third, fourth sibling. Where are you? I'm the first. One, two, three. Is you. Yes? Yes. yes. Okay. <laughs> Numbers are hard. Numbers are hard. I am not an accountant. Um, I'm a former therapist. So, Juana is uh, my third sister, right in the middle. So, three older, two younger, yes? Yes. Okay. And uh, I was doing some writing this morning and a little bit on... What day did you come? Tuesday? I arrived on Monday the 5th. Okay. Uh, so, on Tuesday, I was trying to get some writing done. Uh, one of the things I was writing about is uh, social and cultural expectations as they relate to codependency. Uh, and you, it kind of prompted us to have an interesting conversation, uh, both about our cultural background um, and then just kind of a little social expectations. Um, so I'm 12 years older than you? Yes. Okay. Uh, so I was born in 1973 and you were born... I feel like I'm connected to a lie detector. You're not connected <laughs> to a lie detector. <laughs> Just trying to get context. Breaking the ice there. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so you were born in what year? 84. Okay. So what generation do you identify most with? Like the millennials? No, Gen X maybe? Really don't pay attention to much of that. Fair enough. I feel okay. like I was brought up in the 80s. Yep. Fair <laughs> We were born in what 84. What is that called? I'm an 80s child. Yeah. I guess. <laughs> sure. That one. Um, but one of the things that you had kind of pointed out was that... Um, whoa, whoa, whoa. Back up. Okay. So you were writing, you were talking about essays you were writing and trying not to give a full history lesson, which we both talked about if we're giving the history on... Hispanic heritage and all those things, how you yeah. can go on forever and just keep talking about cultural heritage. Right. So focused back on what are you writing this about? What is the point you're trying to get across? How does and it then, relate to codependency? Right, right, right. And started talking about, you know, how we were raised and where we came from, I guess. Yeah. And one of the things that you had pointed out, uh, quite helpfully, in a helpful way, was that your experience of kind of our parenting and, and our family was very different than mine, um, just because one, you're younger, and two, there were certainly significant differences in even the parenting dynamic, right? Even though we have the same biological parents, um, I was born and had two parents and then the way you grew up and the way you were raised, you only had mom. I was also raised or born with two parents. Right. I mean, obviously. <laughs> but yes, we were talking about how 
we were raised very differently because for the most part of your, you as a young adult, before you were, you know, 18, I was still very young and had a different version of growing up because dad passed away when I was four, where right. when he passed away, you were 16. Mm -hmm. So it was very different for yeah. us growing up, two parents versus one parent. Right. And then the other significant difference was I was raised primarily in Albuquerque and you were raised primarily in Colorado. Yeah. Southern Colorado. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so your, even just like the, the school system and the social, you know, environment, um, you were raised in a more kind of rural community, small town, right. where I was raised in Albuquerque kind of city and, um, uh, you know, private school, those kinds of things. Right. Okay. Um, and so one of the things that I had brought up in the essay I was writing was how I identify culturally. Uh, and so, you know, there's a lot of aspects to culture. And so it's kind of, you know, age group that you're in, uh, gender is a part of it. Um, education, language, ethnicity, all of those things. Um, and then there's the, the social component of, you know, kind of the era that you're raised in and the political environment and all of those things. Um, and so, again, very different dynamics because you were raised in a more rural community, uh, smaller school system. I was raised in private school and in the city. Um, one of the things, and certainly commonalities, uh, we were both raised Roman Catholic. Um, I went to Catholic school. I and mean, I also went to Catholic school, too, when I was younger. When you were little, yeah. Right. Um, but still very strict Catholic household. For sure. No for matter sure. where we were, there was always this strict, firm belief of Catholicism. Right. And so faith was a big part of kind of how we were raised. So that is one lens. Um, do you think that that affected, specific to codependency, affected how we recognized our worth and value based on other people's approval, acceptance, those kinds of things? I'm not sure. It's definitely very... It, more of like a, a cultural thing because being raised Hispanic, a lot of Hispanic culture is very religious focused. Sure. You know, there's praying before dinner, there's church every Sunday, there's uh, all the religious holidays like Christmas and Easter and all those things. But it also brings the what we do and celebrating and those things, I guess. For sure. So when you're talking codependency, what exactly are you thinking? Well, what I was thinking, um, specific to my experience, was... And so we, we're using the term Hispanic. Um, I know people have feelings about that. I prefer that one to Latino. Um, and again, to the history, and you were talking about, like, I could go on forever. Um, our mom very strongly identifies as Chicana, even though we don't have any... Um, Mexican ethnicity in in our heritage um, Northern New Mexico primarily identifies as Spanish um, mm -hmm. and so People are gonna have feelings about all of that, but the reality is that historically Where our family is from in Northern New Mexico? Uh, we identify as Spanish of, of Spanish descent right. uh, But still, you know Hispanic or uh, Latino culture 
so it definitely affects our food, our language, um, how we practice certain things. And so to the point of codependency, recognizing that as the oldest and as a female child, the expectation on me was to take care of you, my siblings, um, and that was a lot of how I was viewed, right? The expectation of me was to make sure that you were fed and you were clothed and I would line them up and like wash all their hair, um, you know, bath times and all of those things. Well, um, and I think that was where we started talking about the differences in growing up is like that you being the oldest, that was your version of how you grew up with taking care of all of us when we were younger, but then we started talking about my version of growing up when it was very, you're going to learn how to work, you're never going to learn how to depend on a man, you're going to learn how to be independent and strong and free thinking and make sure that you're able to take care of yourself. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't think, not necessarily that that wasn't what you were taught, but a different version of like, you're going to take care of the kids. Which, in a lot of Hispanic cultures, the older, they are very large families. You have lots of children. Sure. And generally, you have a lot of the older kids helping take care of the younger kids. Absolutely. Um, And I I love that you pointed that out, because it was a very different experience um, for you versus how I grew up. Because after dad died, what you guys saw was mom being a very independent woman, relying fully on herself, um, just uh, for context... You grew up at the cabin for a while, and then you moved to a ranch. Right. Well, and part of that, too, was we had to take care of the ranch together. It wasn't a singular thing. It was a family thing. It was a family ranch. You're going to wake up in the morning and uh, take care of all the things before and after school. If we had cows, I mean, mom's April Fool's joke was like, oh, my God, the cows got out and, like, woke us all up super early. And, like, April Fool's just kidding. They're right there where we left them. Like... (laughs) Just it, but also like you're gonna, we're gonna put up this fence and you're gonna linseed the oil of the fence and you're gonna make sure that it gets done at a certain time. Or, you know, these are things we're gonna go on a cattle drive and we're gonna go out there together and you're gonna learn how to do these things together. So you are given the tools you need to be a successful human to learn how to work hard, but then also learn that these are the benefits you can get from that. Right. And I think that benefited you guys for sure, being interdependent on each other and recognizing that in a community of your family, and I do th- I think that a family is a community, um, that we're all going to work together for the good of the unit, right? I think that that's also a very different experience than my experience, which is like, I am the leader of the unit when you were all little, and then I left when you were... I left when... So, like, six or seven? Once Probably. you... Because you moved to the cabin, or how old were you? Mm. Like eight, nine. Well, I'm just thinking if you were 16 and I was four, then if you were two years older and leaving, then I was two years older. Look at you in math. (laughs) Why don't I have a very interesting communication dynamic, which we continue to learn every time we travel together, which you and I travel together probably more than our other siblings. Um, And a lot of it is, is very doused in sarcasm. Uh, which can be flammable at times. <laughs> Dumpster fire. But at the same time, talking about codependency and things, and you just brought up the family unit, we were very dependent on our siblings, mm-hmm. but also raised to be close because 
even as a family, like, you know, fighting a lot because there's all of us and mom would just be like, you, you can kill yourself and do whatever and kill each, each other, other. <laughs> yeah, each other, like at home. But when you're in public, you better make sure you love the shit out of each other <laughs> and defend each other. Defending each other was a huge one. And that was one that, you know, really stuck was we were, we were so close as the little ones. So mm-hmm. it was always like, you know, Carmen's little sister or Juana's little sister or whatever else but if any of them were in trouble whether it be at school or anything else we would be the first ones to be there to defend them right so if anybody's fucking with your little sibling like right you're there to take care of that little or bigger right (laughs) but you talk about being codependent and we were very dependent on each other because we were taught that that is your best friend that's going to be the person who's always going to be there for you that's going to be the person who you're going to rely on if anyone for sure and I think that's um, that's a really interesting perspective, very different than my perspective. Um, but you're you're absolutely correct. Like mom talked a lot about how our unit as a family was very important, and we rely on each other. It's so interesting that you also brought up that whatever happens at home is fine. Once we get out into public, mm. then get your shit together. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was writing, I was talking about how getting ready for church was always a shit show. And there was a lot of yelling and screaming and crying. But by the time we got to church, we had to hold it together and give this perspective of like a very put together family. Or she would pinch the fuck out of you. <laughs> Pinching was definitely a thing. Um, I did talk about the fact that I grew up uh, and certainly our, my younger sister, um, the one two years younger than me, she and I grew up with, with physical punishment, right? Um, so mom did a lot of spanking, uh, sometimes with a belt. I don't know that you guys had that same experience. So pinching was part of your experience, but do you remember getting like hit by mom in a spanking punishment way? No. Okay. I mean, um, maybe if she was braiding our hair and we moved a lot, she'd smack the brush on her head, but... That's true. It wasn't very... I was never in a lot of trouble, so I never got physical punishment. That's so interesting that you bring that up. Tell me about that. So you never got in trouble in that way. My experience of you was very different, um, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a second, but did you recognize that... What motivated that for you? Let me ask the question. What motivated you to not get in trouble? It wasn't that I didn't get in trouble. I got away with not getting caught. Okay. Okay. Um, I think that's that's accurate and fair. Um, I can say that for myself, I one of the ways I didn't get in trouble, um, I was in trouble a lot, to be fair. I was grounded often, and I spent a lot of time in my room. But what I learned was in order to um, avoid getting yelled at or spanked or whatever was to just make sure everything was done. Right. So I was, I was intuiting a lot of your needs, not just you, but like the little ones. Um, like I said, making sure they were all fed, making sure they were all bathed, making sure their hair was done, making sure they went to bed. Um, I was doing all of those things to avoid getting yelled at or punished somehow. And so I learned pretty at a pretty young age that in order for me to avoid 
whatever negative consequence, I had to make sure all of the needs of other people were met. What I heard you say was that what you learned was to not get caught. Yeah. Okay. My experience of you, and this is just like a funny story that we tell often, is <laughs> if we ever like needed you to go and get something, you, whether intentional or not, it did seem intentional as we observed it, you would come back several times until people got frustrated and just did it themselves. <laughs> was that intentional on your part? I don't know. Probably if it became more frequent, it's like, yeah, they're eventually just going to find it themselves if I can't get it. Okay. <laughs> and so, like, if we'd say, hey, can you go get me the Q-tips or whatever, you'd be like, I don't, where are they? On what shelf? In what room? On what, you know? Maybe y'all were poor at communicating your, where these things were, directions. That's probably true. Still true to this day. <laughs> I agree, and I appreciate that you call me out on it because I can be better at using more descriptive terms. Um, in terms of the concept of what would people think, right? I think I use that a lot with clients, uh, especially because I think a lot of people are raised with this idea of other people are observing you, and so you have to keep your shit together. Did you kind of get that message that other people are looking and so you have to look a certain way or be a certain way? Not really. I was different than everyone else because I didn't give a shit. Okay. There, I mean, I remember being very independent. I remember being the reliable mom, the reliable one that mom would be able to go to if she needed something done on the ranch or if she needed help. Like, I would be the one to go help her early in the morning to irrigate. I would be the one out there helping her, like, doing all the things. And at the same time, I was also in multiple things in school, always keeping busy, in sports all the time. So I learned about time management because all these things needed to get done, so I made sure they got done. Do you think that that's helped you to be successful as a grown-up? Absolutely. It made me be not lazy. Okay. It made me have pride in my work and what I've done and the end result of things. It okay. made me be more passionate about what I do. Okay. And you do have a tremendous work ethic. You are really good with money. I mean, as we sit on this island vacation, you and I have commented often about how it's so awesome that you and I have drive and motivation to be able to like save money and plan things out and have a good time. Um, and again, you and I travel often and well together. Um, we've been to Vegas several times together. Um, you've been to Mexico. You and I have gone to Tennessee and San Diego together. You and I travel together often and well, mm -hmm. I would say. Would you agree? Yes. Okay. Um, so then to the negative kind of codependency parts, um, you listen to the podcast often, and mm -hmm. so you know that I, I talk about kind of the negative or, or kind of mm, not helpful side effects of how we were raised, and I, I only come from my perspective, so I appreciate you being here. Mm -hmm. um, what do you think are some of the negative consequences or negative uh, side effects to how we were raised or how it affects how you feel about yourself? 
was a question? <laughs> that was a loaded question. It was, it a, was lot a lot of different ones. It was. What do you want the first answer to? Um, do you think there are negative side effects or consequences to how you were raised? In terms of cultural expectations of, you know, relying on just your family or being very um, internally motivated for success. Do you think there are any negative consequences to that? No, not really. I mean, we even talked about how um, my mother was going to school, ended up dropping out of school, and had all the kids, and then when dad died, it was like raising all the kids, and then later as an older person, she, an older person, when she was, when all of us, the kids were out of school, mm-hmm. she ended up going back to school. Yeah. So she, I mean, education, education was always a focus. Mm-hmm. But for myself, I went to college straight out of high school, but I was always in school in something. So it was like high school. And then during my high school summers, I was always at another program that prepared me for the next year of school. So mm-hmm. I was always trying to learn more, do more, be more. And when I went to college, it, it always seemed that it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't enough of a challenge. Okay. So I got bored and then I discovered working and I found more joy in working three jobs and making money and being able to do all these things versus spending my time in classes that were boring, that weren't teaching me more of what I wanted to learn. And it sucks because it happened later on too when I went to school again. I did another three years and it was just everything that I had learned the past years in working, I got bored again. Okay. But I still go back to work. I love work. I love my job. I love working hard and getting the benefits of uh, climbing that corporate ladder, of making more money, of not necessarily making people happy with the job that I do, but yes, to an extent. Like that motivates you? Right. Okay. Tell us a little bit about what you do or what kind of industry you work in. So I have been in the restaurant industry for about 17 years now. So I started off uh, in a restaurant Mm -hmm. as a host and quickly uh, moved up. So then I was a server, then I was a shift leader, uh, then I started working as a bar, so at a bar, so then, then I, there I was serving too. Um, and then I was climbing up the ladder at the restaurant quicker. I was a shift leader and then I was interested in the kitchen side of it because that's the other part of me is I like to learn every part of how it works and why it works and how it comes together. It's very stimulating for you. You get passionate about it. Right. And it's never, I've never been bored with it. I'm always learning something more, which I think also has been what's kept me in the industry so long. Yeah. But then I started work at a school as a para working with a middle school life skills class. And that was also very rewarding because I've also wanted to, you know, go into teaching and stuff. But it was also the same thing in the restaurant, which after a while of working there, so, I mean, that, was, that all happened, like, straight out of college. Like, I was mm-hmm. work, I was like, hey, there's all these three jobs I could do with things that I love. I'm making yeah. money. I'm doing all these things that I like. I'm still teaching people. The higher I go, all those people who are still learning, not necessarily below me, but at a, at a different level, 
constantly teaching them things. So it got to the point to where 10 years later, I was uh, still climbing that ladder, working as a NSO, so new store opener, and then I was traveling and teaching all these other humans how to be functioning in a restaurant, mm-hmm. from front of house to back of house to all these things. So it was just like that has become my passion is learning new things and being able to teach other people those new things, but then also being very happy with just serving people beautiful food and beautiful cocktails and yeah. being hospitable in uh, affecting their lives in that way to where they are like super happy. Are there any kind of negative drawbacks or side effects that, um, you know, working in the industry or doing those things has been challenging or difficult for you? Yes. Um, it takes a lot out of you. It's a lot of energy. It's very exhausting. To, like, work in a fast-paced industry or, like, work with people or both? Um, kind of both. And it's very easy for people to take advantage of you when you are such a hard worker. They just keep taking and taking and wanting more. And those expectations get higher and higher and higher when they don't understand that those expectations to a point are unattainable. Right. And also that... Wanting to do more and more and more and more... To prove that you can still do it, but there has to be a point to where you just say no. Thank you. I appreciate you saying that because one of the things that you had mentioned since we've been on this trip is that our other sister had commented on the fact that you speak up more. Um, Would you say that that's not your norm or hasn't been before now? To speak up more, to set boundaries, to say no. Yes, because it's easier to... I mean, being a people pleaser, you want to say yes, you want to do these things, you want to make everybody happy, but at the end of the day, you can't make everybody happy. So where do you think that people pleasing, um, accommodating other humans kind of comes from or has come from for you? Mm, I don't know. Okay. Part of it does go back to, I guess, the cultural thing because are we're taught to love hard we're taught to do everything 100 percent. there is no half-ass there is no partial anything if you're going to do this you're going to do it and you're going to either do it right or it's just everything we've done has always been so passionate and 100 percent. do you think that that was a big expectation um in how we grew up or by whom we were raised like yeah that we don't do anything half-assed, we don't, um, and I think saying no is, I did not learn to say no, like, it was not part of, I was not even an autonomous human to be able to say no, like, I was, I feel truly like I was born of service, Mm -hmm. um, you know, certainly to my siblings, to my parents, um, and then that kind of carried on to other, uh, relationships, but, I was not, I was not given the autonomy or freedom to say no. Like I was just there to take care of other people. Do you feel like that was part of your experience as well? Yeah. Um, especially with, you have two younger siblings below you, right? Right. But even just with the four of us, I mean, even with the one who was above me, like that's just, you know, there's a year and a half to two years difference between all of us. So we're all very close. But there, there wasn't, there's never a time to say no. So if mom was like, go do this, you're not going to be like, no. 
Right. It wasn't a question, like, you go get it done. But was there a and negative if you did consequence? It shitty, then it was like, then you fucking do it again. Right. For sure. And so that was a, that's a big part of, I know for both of us, uh, because we have such a, a serious work ethic, that, like, you don't half-ass anything. You don't do anything halfway. You do it full-ass, if you will. <laughs> well, and even, I mean, doing work on the ranch, too, like, that was something else, like, if you went to go collect bales and you had to stack them a certain way, like, it had to be done a certain way for a reason because if you did it the wrong way, then all those bales could topple down and potentially land and hurt somebody. So it's like you have to be aware of all the things other than just yourself, but you have to make sure that it's done correctly. Yeah. I think that that's, it's a really helpful lesson, but I know for myself, like I work so hard that then I become exhausted and I, I've talked a lot on the podcast and certainly on my TikToks that like it's been hard for me not to have that same motivating drive to get things done and like even while you've been here I mean I take time to make content I take time to write I take time to do things so just relaxing is hard for both of us mm-hmm. um, which has been really lovely in the last couple days um because we've been able to lay out by the pool, we've been able, you've been able to read, which I love. Um, I've just been able to relax and I don't do that well, (laughs) but it's something that we are both kind of working on in terms of, of taking care of our own needs. It's hard. I mean, I think I got to the point of being able to say no the past few years. I mean, the reason I moved to Nebraska was to start up a new store, um, started from the ground up and was given to me to be the GM or whatever. A new restaurant. Yep. So then after that, I mean, a few months later, COVID hit. So we were one of the places that stayed open to like, you know, delivery only or whatever. And I was one of the people who I am very good at everything that I do. And that's, that's more than just ego. That's more than just everything else. I know that I am good at what I do. Yeah. And at that time, with everything that I had learned within this restaurant, I can be I can be and do the work of five people. Yeah. That doesn't mean it's not exhausting. So doing that and working 80 hours for two years straight and being isolated in a place where I can't make friends, I can't hang out with my coworkers, there's all these restrictions that are put on top of me on top of you have to do this job and you have to do this job well. And why can't you retain people? And why can't you, and it, at the end of the day, you know, it's that feeling of worthlessness mm. because you continually are being told that, hey, you're doing a great job, but at the same time, why are you understaffed? Right. And just the pressure of that, the pressure of everything else, it finally had to become a no because my body started shutting down and I wasn't able to do my job and it came down to you know I need to figure out what's going on can I take a a medical leave and whatever else and it was just it was almost like they wanted to tell me no so it's like you know what I have to choose me I have to be the one who chooses me because no one else is going to and I'm going to be the only one who's going to be able to speak up for myself so it was very hard to step away from this job for 16 years that I've been doing, that I've worked my ass off for, that I really love, to say no. Yeah. I can imagine that was really difficult to 
one prioritize yourself right. um and you so you talk about like you, your body was shutting down um i know because I, I know you personally but like you and i and probably a lot of um our family like we live in chronic pain mm-hmm. for a lot of different reasons and we work through that right like there is no giving up because we have a hard day physically right you just keep going yep and I love that you got to that place. I mean, it sucks that you got to that place, but I'm really <laughs> proud of you for being able to kind of speak your truth and, and really prioritize your needs, even though you were doing a job that you loved and you worked really hard at to get to the place that you got to, you still had to prioritize yourself and say, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of me first. Well, and like when you talk about codependency and how, you know, culturally how you were raised like we were not raised to give up we were not raised to be a quitter we were not raised to do things half-ass and at the same time you become so dependent on that job that is providing a roof over your head food on your table you are getting your needs met to an extent financially but to be able to step away from that was really hard because not many people have the courage to do that and realize that at the end of the day they're gonna be fine and I experienced that too and it's very hard it's very very traumatic to go through something like that because I moved to a whole new place where I didn't know anybody just my fiance and I and in a time that became very isolating and I'm a very uh, people person need to be around my friends need to be around my family and it was very challenging for the past few years so to find another job, which I have an amazing resume, like I, I realized, I have realized more in this year my worth mm. and the ability to say no, but also when to say yes mm-hmm. and know that, no, I'm not going to come back and work for you because you're not paying me what I'm worth, mm. the work that I'm going to do. Yeah. That was really hard. And but I love that you figured it out. Yep. Like you found that that resilience within yourself yep. to recognize I am worth this amount of money. I know that I do a great job yep. and I have all of this experience that would be an asset mm-hmm. to your organization. Exactly. I'm really proud of you. Thanks. That's really cool. It sucks because it makes me want to cry every time because it was a place that I literally put like blood, sweat, and tears in. And... I've learned so much through it, which I am very thankful, but even at my new job, like I was, it was still so overwhelming with all the things that there was a day within my first month where I was having an emotionally unstable day and they told me it is okay to take a mental health day. Why don't you go home and just relax? take care of yourself for a day. Wow. Had you ever heard that before? Completely. No. I mean, it blew my mind. I was just like, are you sure you're going to be okay? Like, I I would love to stay and work. And they're like, no, it's fine. We, We appreciate you at least, you know, coming in, but you need to go home and take a day for yourself. And that was when I decided that this place was going to be worth more of my time and energy and not be as draining because they respected the fact that I am human, Mm. that I do get exhausted that I am better for them when I am feeling better. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's our time. 
we <laughs> we have been able to uh, to kind of record this and and do the things. I'm really proud of you and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I know that um, I really appreciate that you listen and you have been listening since we were doing this before. I know you had a lot of anxiety about coming on and and recording, but you did a great job and so thank you Thanks. so much. I'm proud of you too. Thank you. Um, so we are LX2 Codependency Coaching. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, we did not do a video today, but I did post some stuff on um, TikTok and Instagram. It's Luna underscore X2 underscore LLC and uh, X to the Zennial underscore podcast. Um, if you want to reach me, if you have questions, it's lx2.cody.coaching at gmail.com. Thank you again, and I hope you guys have a great rest of your day. Uh, we are going to head out to the beach now, and we'll talk to you soon. Just quickly, we got a doorbell right there at the end, and um, they were delivering snacks. So thank you again for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.